Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. We have been there, and while you're turning there, I just want to say uh, congratulations to the Mount Calvary Church girls volleyball team, and uh, they are the district champs. Great article this morning in the Lancaster paper, and the thing I appreciated about that uh, article was you don't read this too much in the sports section, but uh, our girls had won the first and they lost, and then they, um, the coach, Tyann uh, Root, who's the girls' coach, the paper said uh, the girls seemed to need just a, to be pulled together, and so she pulled them aside, and the paper said, Tyann said, and we prayed. Hey, isn't it great that our coach prays when they go through a little tough time? So I was really excited to read that this morning. Uh, nice big article in the Lancaster paper this morning about Mount Calvary Christian School. So thank you, Tyanne, for the great job that you're doing. They go to the States. They play Tuesday night, I believe, or Tuesday afternoon. So keep the girls in prayer as they uh, are representing our school and doing a great job of it. Well, Romans chapter 1. Last week, Pastor John did a phenomenal job of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist, church. We're here for the gospel. And uh, so that's the good news. And now we're going to look for about four weeks at the bad news. So if you struggle with depression, it's probably not a good thing to come for the next four weeks, okay? Not really. We're going we're gonna to spend four weeks just about telling you what Paul says why we need the gospel. So Pastor John said, here's the gospel, and now we're going to look at why do we so desperately need the gospel. And so my question today, have you ever been to court? I mean, not just been to court, but have you ever been taken to court? And uh, I have to tell you, I've probably, I was thinking this week as preparing, I think I've been to court six times. And uh, one, when we were in New Jersey, or in uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia, we were charged with stealing Venetian blinds when we moved out of a trailer that we lived in. $149 we were sued for, but we won the case. And uh, for a college student, that was a good thing because he didn't have $149. In New Jersey, who has uh, very expensive auto insurance, uh, every time I got a ticket or my kids got a ticket, I went to court to fight it because I didn't want to get the points. And in New Jersey, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes, backroom haggling that goes on, and you can get that taken down to misdemeanors and not have to pay points. So I did that quite often for my kids because they learned to drive from their mom, <laughs> who has a heavy foot. That's right. She'll be the first one to tell you. She can make it to New Jersey an hour and 45 minutes. takes me two hours. So we always kid about that. But the one time that I remember the most was uh, I was away speaking at a camp and a uh, law officer appeared at our door and handed my wife a subpoena for me to appear in court and to, off, uh, to answer charges of setting up an illegal adoption. Uh, I was counseling with a young lady and uh, she was expecting and she did not want to keep the baby. And so I had a pastor friend who him and his wife couldn't have children, and they had talked about adopting. And so I set the whole thing up, got a lawyer, went through the whole process. And uh, as that thing, it had been all years since that adoption had happened, and everybody was happy except the state of New Jersey when they somehow found out about it. Uh, in New Jersey, 
it is illegal for an individual to set up an adoption like that, even though I went through a lawyer. The lawyer never told me that. And so they called me in to answer charges for that. And uh, it was scary. You know, it was a scary situation because I could face, face jail time for that. And so I remember the prosecuting attorney standing there from the state of New Jersey reading the charges. And then the judge said, you know, share with me how this happened. And so I went through the whole thing with him of how it happened and what all. And he basically said to me, he said, we're going to let you off. And oh, man, phew, was I relieved. He said, I understand that you did this. You had no harm. You didn't meet any harm by it. But if you ever do this again, you've got to go through a state agency or a legal adoption agency to do that. But I remember what I felt. You know, I want to put some pictures up here of some judges and uh, maybe you've had to stand before these judges. Or maybe you're hooked on the, you know, watching these, you know, programs on television. And, and we've probably all watched these once or twice. And, you know, it's a lot easier watching these in, the, in your living room than it is having to go through and stand before a judge. But I share this with you because exactly what is happening is the Apostle Paul is sort of taking us into a courtroom and the Apostle Paul is becoming the prosecuting attorney. And he is going to bring charges against you and me. He's going to bring charges from Romans chapter 1 all the way through Romans chapter 3 until he finally is going to tell you what the verdict is in Romans chapter 3, 23. For all have what? Sinned. But it's going to take him some time because as any good prosecuting attorney, he wants to lay out his case for you. And so over the next few weeks, Pastor John and I are going to be laying out the prosecuting attorney, the Apostle Paul's case that we are all sinners. And so when we think about entering the courtroom, he is the prosecuting attorney and God is the judge. It's not like these judges that we watch here on television. It is God as the judge. So Paul is speaking to God. We are the sinners who are sitting in the courtroom being prosecuted for our sin. And let me tell you, in New Jersey, those backroom deals that happen, there's not going to be any backroom deals that are going to happen in this courtroom. So that's where we're going in these next weeks. And so we're going to look here in Romans chapter 1 and look at the wrath of God. This is a message that you don't really like to preach. It's a lot easier to preach about the love of God. But the reality is the Bible speaks often about the wrath of God. And so we're going to consider the wrath of God and why he has the right to put his wrath upon us as sinners. Let's pray and then we're going to look at this text today. Father, Lord, I pray that as we, over these next weeks, we see that whether it's the heathen, whether it's the moral man, whether it's the religious person, we are all guilty before God. Father, as the Apostle Paul lays out the sentencing and lays out the charges against us, Lord, May we see clearly that we are totally undone. Father, that we have no right at all to be able to stand and say, I am not guilty. 
No matter if we're a heathen, no matter if we're a moralistic person, no matter if we're a religious person, we are all guilty before God, and we all deserve the wrath of God. Our hearts are desperately wicked. They are deceitful, Lord. And so, Father, as we show in the Word of God this morning your wrath, may we afresh and anew remember that you are a God of love, but you are also a God of wrath. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. You might want to underline that. Men are without excuse. For although they know God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So we want to work our way through this. And the very first thing we look, it says, The wrath of God. The wrath of God. And you know what? Why do I need the gospel? The very first reason that Paul's going to lay out the reason I need the gospel is because of God's wrath. Because of God's wrath. Paul begins to unfold the details of the gospel of God in which his righteousness is revealed. And then he shows us because of his righteousness, he has the right to be angry. The idea of a wrathful God goes against the wishful thinking of a fallen human man. We don't like to hear about the wrath of God. In fact, a lot of times when people present the gospel, they forget to present the aspect of, listen, we are lost sinners condemned to die on our way to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. That doesn't preach real well. It doesn't sound real well today. And so we give the gospel. We just want to talk about, listen, if you accept Jesus Christ, your life can be better here on earth and it's going to be all good and, you know, things are going to be great. But listen, a person cannot appreciate the wonder of God's grace until he knows the perfect demand of God's wrath. And that's why we need to talk about that this morning. That's why we need to look at this, because we cannot appreciate God's forgiveness until he knows about the eternal consequences of sins that require a penalty to be paid. And that penalty, of course, was paid by God's Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And so this morning, just a few things, when we think about the wrath of God, you know, this is... This is not the violent anger that we think about. This is not God's nostrils going wide and him kicking some star across the sky. It's not talking about that kind of wrath. This is a righteous, holy wrath. This isn't like our anger that gets out of control. This is God whose wrath is under control. You know, it says there, it says, the wrath of God is being revealed. 
When it talks about this being revealed, it means it's swelling, it's growing. God's wrath is seen, but it is a swelling thing. It's not just God gets angry and, and wrathful, but this is in a sense a swelling until finally it is, and we get into the book of Revelation, we're going to see God's wrath full scale as he puts his wrath out in those in, during the tribulation period. It's building. It's a quality. It's divine. The Bible tells us in John 3.36, Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whosoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God is upon him or remains on him. Do you know those who don't know Jesus Christ today as their personal Savior, those living on the earth who've rejected him, God's wrath is upon them already. How about the timing? It said it is revealed. It is constantly being revealed. God is always dealing with sin. When people die today who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they are cast into eternal torment today. And so God's wrath is always revealed. You'll see it's from heaven. And this wrath, it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Lest we think that Satan is in control. Listen, God is in control of everything that goes on in this world. He is ruling today from heaven, and hopefully he's ruling in your heart also today also. Heaven revealed God's wrath in two ways, through his moral order and through his personal intervention. And God put into the fabric of life, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he what? Reap. So right into the moral law, God in a sense, if a man sows unrighteousness, he's going to reap unrighteousness and he's going to reap the wrath of God. So it's, it's put into the fabric of life. But also the second way in God, which God reveals his wrath is through his direct and personal intervention. Again, God is intervening in the world today. And you'll notice in there, it says his wrath goes against two things, against godlessness and wickedness. His wrath goes especially towards godlessness and unrighteousness or wickedness. Ungodliness is a lack of reverence. It's sin against the being of God. That's what it's when in our text when it says godlessness or ungodless, ungodly, it means sin against the personal being of God. And then unrighteousness here or wickedness means um, sin against the will of God. So the first is sin against the being of God. The second is sin against the will of God or the laws of God. So he says God's wrath is going to be poured out on those who sin against his very being and those who sin by breaking the laws of God or, or breaking his will. It's interesting here that sin first attacks the majesty and then his law. And that's how sin works. It attacks his majesty and then his law. And that's not new. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And what did Satan do? He attacked what? God's being first. And then he attacked the law that he had set down in the garden for Adam and Eve. And so Satan's tricks are not new. He does the same thing. You know, I, I've often said this. We worship our way into sin and we have to worship our way out. Because we end up sinning because we worship something more than we worship God. 
Whatever your sin that you struggle with today, you're worshiping that sin instead of worshiping the being of God and the will of God. So if you worship your way into sin, the only way you're really going to get out of it, it's not some self-help program, it's going to be through listening, worshiping the very being of God and the laws of God and bringing ourselves to centering our life and worshiping Him. And then it says, look at our text there, it says, the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, who are constantly attempting to suppress the truth by steadfastly holding to their sin. And this is talking about people who are outside who say, you know what, listen, I'm a sinner. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what God says. I'm going to live my life the way I want. And in a sense, Paul's saying they're suppressing God. We're going to see in a minute as we talk about our conscience how we do suppress God. David had proclaimed hundreds of years ago, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupted. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Psalms 14.1. Sinful man opposes the idea of a holy God because they don't want to experience the wrath of God. If I don't think there's a God... I don't have to worry about, I think, experiencing the wrath. So Paul's going to give us now four reasons why God is justified in his wrath. And so that's what we're going to spend about the next 20 minutes looking at these four reasons why God is justified in his wrath towards us. And so we're going to look at verse 19 and 20. It says, Since... What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities has eternal power, divine nature, and have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so the men are without excuse. First of all, here's the first reason for God's wrath. It's God's revelation. God's revelation. And he's revealed himself here in Scripture. Paul's going to point out two ways he's revealed himself to every one of us. And the first way is simply this. He's revealed his wrath to you on the inside, and it's called your conscience. Your conscience. So that which is known about God is evident in them. I'm going to put up on the screen this verse. Romans 2.15. You can look across the page to Romans 2.15. You can see it there. The work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness between themselves. Their thoughts accusing are also excusing them. Paul's going to come back later in, in chapter 2 and he's going to talk about, listen, in every person God has placed a conscience. That's when we're born, we're born with a conscience. Atheists are not born, they're developed. They're one to that cause. A child has a natural inclination to believe in God. They can often be directed to go a different direction, but there's within every one of us. No one can plead ignorance. God has always revealed himself. He's perfect and just. An example of that would be Helen Keller. Helen Keller was blind and deaf from a very young age. When Mrs. Sullivan first tried to tell Helen Keller about God, she said this. She said, 
I already know about him. She just didn't know his name. Because within, him, within her, there was a conscience that was, in a sense, pointing her towards something, a being that was over her and higher in her and that created her. In Acts chapter 14, verses 15 and 17, to the Gentiles at Lystra, uh, Paul says, The very goodness of life testifies to the God who gave it. On the next journey, Paul told the pagan philosophers on Mars Hill at Athens, Every person has a witness of God. And so you might sit there today and you might say, well, you know, how about those heathens in Africa? How about those who never have heard the good news of Jesus Christ? And Paul says, even within them, God has placed a conscience, a sense of God. And they will search. And, and, you, and you study those and you'll, they are looking for something. And so God has put a conscience within every one of us. The second is the outside. The second reason that God is justified in bringing wrath on us and his revelation is not only our conscience, but creation. Creation. It says, For since the creation of the world, it's been clearly seen and understood through what is made that there is a God. Paul makes very important the point that there is enough evidence in creation alone to hold every man accountable to God. In fact, he says, listen, creation, in our, in our verse, it says it reveals his, his invincible attributes. Creation in itself shows God's invinci invincible attributes. It shows his eternal uh, power. So it shows his invisible attributes. It shows his eternal power and then his divine nature. And we see all those things in creation. Let me just give you a few examples this morning. How about the sun? Temperature's about 12,000 degrees. It's 93 million miles away. If it was any further or any closer, we would either die of being frozen to death, or if it was closer to us, what? We'd burn up. But it's the exact distance. But we know it was all the Big Bang that just put that there, right? We know that, just a big bang. And how about Earth's rotation, its tilts, its orbits, its controlled seasons, its times, its years? 25,000 miles in circumference, yet it hangs in empty space. Flying, flying through the air 1,000 miles an hour as we spin and through space at 1,000 miles per minute, and we don't even recognize it because its design is so perfect. Don't even recognize it, do we? 580 million miles of the earth, and we'll be right back to where we are today, 365, years later, or 365 days later. How about the atmosphere? 21% oxygen. If it was more, then the first time there would have been a spark, everything would explode. But it's exactly 21% what it needs to be. Why? Because it had a creator who made it. How about the water cycle? Read this this week. Every Minnesota, Minnesota farmer, I don't know why I didn't do Pennsylvania. Couldn't find about Pennsylvania farmers. But every Minnesota farmer gets 407, uh, 407 510,000 gallons of rainwater per acre per year, and it's free of charge. 
In Missouri, 38 inches of average rain each year, 70,000 square miles. If you took and made one lake, it'd be 250 miles long, 60 miles wide, and 22 feet deep. It's exactly what God orders. How about the human heart? It's the size of a fist. It's 12 ounces. In 12 hours, the human heart does enough work to raise 65 tons of dirt off the ground one inch. That's what your heart's doing. How about your fingers? There's enough grip to carry heavy loads while sensitive enough to feel the softest strand of hair or breath that comes out of your mouth. How about forensic evidence? The crime scene, footprints, fingerprints, hair, skin, fragments, blood, fragments, and DNA give you a uh, uh, compulsion uh, of who, who did the crime. Such design, how can you put these things in your mind and ever deny there's a designer? Order, power, love, all seen in creation. And yet man stands up and says, you know what? There's no God. There's no God. And so first we have God's revelation. Is enough evidence in itself for God to display his wrath. But there's another one. There's three more. The second is man's rejection. Man's rejection. It says in verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Man has a revelation of God in his conscience. Man has a revelation of God because of creation. And yet, he says, I don't believe in God. In fact, Timothy 3.13 says, Man waxes worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Man deceives himself. And, And he says, listen, let me tell you how man does this. Four ways that man exhibits this rejection that Scripture lays out for you. First, by dishonoring him, by dishonoring God. The worst deed in the universe is failure to give honor and glory to God. In fact, man was created for the very purpose of what? Bringing glory to God. But yet man, what does he do? He turns around and takes all the glory from God. In fact, sometimes I think we struggle with that even after we're saved because we want the glory. Anything good that we do or anything good that happens to us, it's simply the glory of God. No glory belongs to us. But man dishonors God by taking his glory. Man, he says, is unthankful. Unbelief is made worse by ingratitude toward the one who gives life and every provision of it. Man is unthankful. He's not thankful. To me... I love the fall. I love the fall because it's the most beautiful time of the year with all the colors of the leaves. And and man, you see God in creation, yet man turns around as unthankful. Vain imaginations, rejecting God and his truth. Man turns to his own speculation that only lead to more falsehood, the scripture says. He doesn't thank God. He doesn't Thank God. And so he has his own imaginations. And the last one is, he says, being darkened in their hearts to forsake god is to exchange truth for falsehood hopelessness but yet that's what man does and so man rejects god man rejects him by dishonoring him by being unthankful 
by vain imaginations, and by being darkened in their hearts. So man rejects God and deserves his wrath. But there's another one this morning. It's man's rationalization. Look at verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Man's rationalization. Man's rationalization. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Trying to justify themselves in men's rationalization, professing themselves wise about God and the universe, what? They become fools. There are many people who are, the Bible calls them fools. They stand up and they say, there is no God. And the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, the man who says there is no God is a fool. Is a fool. And yet we do that. And, and, and I think we see example of that in evolution. And, and when man says, oh, listen, th there's got to be another way. And, uh, and, and the sad thing is I see it in the church today, where we've even gotten in the church into theistic evolution. There's churches. The sad thing is there's Christian colleges, Christian colleges who are promoting theistic evolution, that God started this whole thing of evolution. When I read Genesis 1 and 2, listen, that's not what I read. I don't read that God created, you know, man from a monkey. I read that God created man and placed him here. And then we have man and his foolishness, even who are believing in progressive creation, that God took millions of years, you know, and through all these different stages, you know, created man to who he is. And that stuff is all foolishness. In fact, you know what? I'll tell you, Facebook is full of foolishness. It really is. Some of the things that people put on Facebook are foolish. They don't see themselves as foolish, but it, it, according to God's word, it's foolishness because it goes against the very word of God. It's foolishness. When, when we begin to accept these things that science says, listen, it's not what science says, it's what the word of God says. The greatest fool in all the world is the person who exchanges God's wisdom of truth and light for man's wisdom of deceit, deception, and darkness. And the sad thing is it's happening even in the church, where instead of believing the truth of God's word, we are deceived by the darkness of this world that's creeping into the church. We need to be careful about that. And then the last one, the reason we deserve God's wrath is because of man's religion. Because of man's religion. Look at the, uh, verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Religion, it's a system devised by man to replace the truth and the worship of God. You know, man is not naturally godly. He is naturally religious. He is naturally religious. Most people in the world claim to be religious. Hindus have 330 million gods. There's millions of Buddhists who re revere a tooth said to have belonged to Buddha. The development of religion is not evidence of man's progression, but of his depravity and his rejection of God. 
And that's what religion is. It's a rejection of God. You know, we're, we don't practice a religion here at Mount Calvary Church. We practice a relationship with Jesus Christ. The very first commandment, it says, Thou shalt have what? No other gods before thee. But what does man do? He has other gods. He has other gods. And this scripture says, you know, that man makes other gods out of things that God has made. And he gives you some, some examples there. You know, out of man himself becomes gods, birds and animals and reptiles. And we become idolaters. We begin to worship these things. You know, and maybe today it's not that we're, you know, we're worshiping birds or we're worshiping things. But there are people who do that, who worship nature. But listen, we worship all kinds of things. And the sad thing is the church, even in the church, there's people. Astrology, wealth, health, pleasure, sex, sports, entertainment, celebrities. We begin to worship those things more than we worship God. We make a religion out of it. And it even comes into the church because then we begin to worship in the church. We worship styles of music. We worship buildings. We worship preferences. We're even self-righteous about it. And it's nothing more than idolatry. When we begin to worship other things other than God, when we begin to make those things the center of our life, rather than making God the center of life. And you know, it's very easy to read through these texts, and especially next week when we look at man who's been abandoned by God, to say, well, praise God, that's not me. But the sad thing is, is even after we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, listen, we still struggle with these things that we've talked about this morning. We still struggle with these things, and we still deserve the wrath of God. Man, when I read through the book of Romans, I can't wait to get to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Because the Bible says, Therefore thou, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because as Paul lays this out, I read through the book of Romans, and I'm, I'm sitting in the courtroom raising my hand and saying, Yep, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty. Because I see myself for who I am. That's why Paul himself, as I read through this, I think it's Paul really just looking at his own life and saying, this is really me I'm talking about. I am guilty here. I'm guilty of all this. I deserve God's wrath. But it's only the good news. It's only the grace. It's only the gospel that Pastor John preached to us last week. It's only because of that that God's wrath isn't brought upon us because of his grace. The prosecuting attorney, Paul, has stood up and he's presented this case. He said, listen, God says, I've given you a conscience. I've, I've given you creation to show. And you turn around and you reject that. You turn around and you rationalize. You turn around and you develop your own religion. You worship everything but me. Why does man deserve God's wrath? Because man rejects God's revelation, whatever form that may be. He regresses through rationalization, false religion, 
and ultimately reprobation. Reprobation. And next week, we're going to look at that. Where we're abandoned by God. Well, God finally says, that's it. I'm going to abandon you. And he has the right to do that. Again, it's not what we want to hear, but it's the reality of Scripture. Every one of us today, every one of us sitting here today, are sitting in the courtroom, listening to these things being said, and every one of us are guilty. And next week, Paul will continue to lay out for us our guilt. But the good news that we have to always keep in mind, the reason he shares all this is because there is such a great gospel of grace that's being offered. And if you sit here today, and you know that you are guilty, you know that you're a sinner, and you've never come to that point in your life where you've cried out and you say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I believe that you died on the cross for me. You were buried and you rose again the third day and you put, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. If you've never done that today, you are on your way to a Christless eternity without God and you will experience his wrath. But the good news is what Pastor John preached last week is that God loved you so much that he made it so simple for you to be able to come to him. Not for this great life here on earth, but this phenomenal, fantastic, amazing life in heaven for eternity. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you today just because you become a Christian, your life is going to be rosy, it's going to be easy, all your problems are going to be gone. No. I'm going to tell you it's not about here anyway. It's really about eternity. We get so, and I'm, I'm saying this myself, I get so focused here that I forget that this is really all about eternity. This is about me coming to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and then going out and trying to get many other people to go to heaven with me. I don't deserve it. But I am glad, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you say, hey, you know what, Pastor Dick? I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I'm not 100% sure of that. You know, you can make sure of that right now, right in your seat. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now. Right there where you are, you can pray. It's not the prayer that saves you, it's the belief. You could say, Lord Jesus, I see that I'm a sinner. I see that my sin separates me from God, and I deserve your wrath. I deserve to spend eternity in hell. But God, I believe that you loved me so much that you came to earth and died on the cross, and you took every sin that I've committed and placed them on yourself you died in my place. You took my sin. You were buried and you rose again, victorious over sin and death. And right now, Jesus, I want to put my trust in that, your finished work, to take me to heaven and that alone. You can't work your way to heaven. It's simply by faith and trust. Maybe you've prayed that today. 
If you did, would you see Pastor John or Dr. Shear at the back door as you go out and just say, hey, I, I just want to let you know that today I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Father, thank you for your word. Father, this is a hard text. And Lord, it's hard to preach because it is really the wrath that we all deserve. Hell, eternal separation. But because of your grace, when we come to you, all of that junk and sin is washed away and we are new and whole. And we will not be condemned. And we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Yesterday, we had a family celebration celebrating four birthdays, and we were celebrating my father-in-law's 86th birthday. And he just started talking to... 87, okay, thank you. 87th birthday. And he was just talking. He said, you know, God's given me 87 years. I don't know if he'll give me another one. He said, I hope he will. But he said, when you do my funeral, he said, I want you to share this story because he said it's one of the greatest things and the saddest thing that ever happened in my life. And he was sitting on the couch and everybody was getting stuff and he was tearing up. And he said, I had an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a wife and a husband. And he said, I, I just happened to run into him and I started sharing the gospel and the good news of Christ. And he said, immediately the, the man just or the woman just rejected, or the man just rejected it. The man rejected it. But he said the wife was so, she, she wanted to know more, and he said, I continued, and, and she prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, and, and he said the man became irritated with me, but he just rejected. And he said, I took down their name, and he said, as I do, and he writes in his Bible, anybody has the opportunity to share to Christ, and he thought that he didn't even know if he'd ever see him again. But four days later, he picked up the Wilmington Journal. And on the front page, it talked about how they had gone to visit their son in New Jersey. And their son took a gun and murdered both of them. And he just wept and he said, one is in heaven and one is in hell. But he said, at least one is in heaven. And it really made me think, you know what? Life is about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we send our missionaries out. We're all missionaries. We all this week need to be telling people, we have a God who's full of love, but he is a God of wrath. And people who reject him end up in a crisis eternity called hell. But I've got good news. We've got the greatest news there is out there. Are you excited about it? Go this week and be excited to share the good news but make sure you tell them the bad news if they don't accept the good news. Have a great week.